From Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is The Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. On this week's episode, Steve Crawford, a member of Hyde Park and a member of our podcast team, sits down with Mary Lou Reed, a small group leader at Hyde Park United Methodist. Steve and Mary Lou discuss the characters of David, Solomon, the temple, and the division of Israel into the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, on to the episode. There are more verses in the Hebrew Bible, 1,100 to be exact, that tell the story of David than any other character in the Old Testament. Moses comes in a respectable second at 848. So who is this shepherd boy who rises to become the greatest military leader and king of Israel? His story, at times, reminds us of a television soap opera. But remember, the Bible is not a history book, but a book of theology to help us better understand God and the history of salvation. One of the many blessings of attending Hyde Park United Methodist Church is a number of church members that have significant and impressive theological training, experience, and education. Each of these individuals and their service through our church are an added resource that helps this church community make God's love real. We are lucky and blessed to have one of those uh, unique talents as our guest for this particular podcast, Mary Lou Reed. Welcome to the Bible Project 2020 podcast, Ms. Reed. And since I've known you for 20 years, I hope it's okay if we call you Mary Lou. Of course it is. And thank you so much for having me here. A little background. Mary Lou Reed was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She graduated with a degree in English speech education from Indiana University of Pennsylvania and did graduate work at the University of Pittsburgh and Penn State University. She taught English and theater arts at high school in Pennsylvania while she raised her two children. After the kids were grown, she began her second career. She returned to graduate school and received a master's in theological studies from Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California. She became a deacon in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and served the Lutheran Church for 35 years with a focus on adult education. Twenty years ago, she came to Hyde Park United Methodist Church and has facilitated numerous groups of adults gathered to learn more about their faith, and for 10 years led the Healing Prayer Group. Again, we are glad you are with us, Mary Lou. So let me ask you the first question, if I could. David is listed as a man after God's heart. He is a hero. He is an idol. But boy, did he have an interesting life. (laughs) If you would, what does it mean to be a man after God's heart? I think that's um, just key to really understanding so much. If if we understand that, we can understand um, the kings that are not accepted. Um, After, uh, when we look at David's life and the things that uh, happened, uh, his relationship with Bathsheba, um, the cruel way, really, that he took over the whole uh, country, Uh, expanded it. Uh, It was really rather brutal. Um, Killing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, or having him killed. Uh, And to me, the the worst one was even on his deathbed, requesting that his son 
uh, killed Joab, his nephew, <laughs> and uh, had been his commander in chief all those right, years. Right. And uh, Shmi, um, who he had promised uh, when 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 he was having to leave Jerusalem when he was running away because of his son trying to take over. Um, uh, Shemiah had screamed all these nasty things and cursed him. But when he came back, uh, he'd made amends uh, with David, and David promised him that he would not hurt him. So he gets his son on his deathbed. He asks his son to kill him. So you say, well, how can this man be a man after God's own heart? Um well, if you look through all those stories about David, there is never one place where David is said to worship a different God or another God. That's the key. That sets him apart from all the characters we've met up to this point in the in the Old Testament, right? Ex- exactly. And all the kings that we're going to see rejected, uh, including including Solomon. <laughs> so this, this very flawed character, yes. to put it mildly, God chooses to make this covenant with. Tell us about the covenant and what's the purpose. Well, to me, this this highlights again the way God operates from the very beginning. I mean, we looked at Abraham, and he made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, In that one, we actually saw the whole covenant ceremony and where God is the one that walks through the two halves of the animals that are cut in half, um, saying, basically, may the same thing happen to me if I ever break this covenant. So God's saying, no matter what Abraham does, he is going to make a people out of Abraham. He's going to use him as the uh, foundation for a people that he's going to use to bless the world. So with David, again, it's really a kind of a one-way covenant. God says, I'm going to build a dynasty from you. I'm going to use you and um, your house, so to speak, dynasty will, will go on forever. He doesn't say, if you do this or if you do that, um, he doesn't put any stipulations. It's, it's all on God. And that's, that's pretty stunning. And both people <laughs> are flawed people. I mean, Abraham wasn't perfect either. <laughs> right, right. So I guess the, the lesson we pull from this, uh, to try and sum it up, is that David was flawed, yes. just as we are all flawed. Yes. But if we keep our eyes on God, and if we remain loyal, and if we continue to keep trying, then things will go well. Well, that is the exciting news to me. I mean, I, I think this is just phenomenal. God operates the very same all the way through the scriptures from the beginning to the end. There is no God of the Old Testament and then a different one for the New Testament. Same one. And he uses us and we're all broken. But he loves us and he will continue to work through us. And as long as uh, we accept it, he's there for us. All right. Let's move on for a moment with the next major king, Solomon. Yes. And talk a bit about uh, his flaws <laughs> and what God could do with him. Um, you know, Solomon was born rich and, quite frankly, stayed rich, unlike David's kind of up and down career, a shepherd boy having to live in a cave, etc. Solomon had it pretty good uh, from the beginning until the end. Uh, he, he loved chariots, he loved horses, he had over 40,000 stables, which is just hard to believe. He served as king during the boom times of Israel and oversaw the building of the temple and various other public buildings. Yet despite his prayer for wisdom, at the end of his reign, 
the country had been destroyed. He had become an old man who was worshiping other gods, and now the country of Israel was about to split into two separate countries. What happened to Solomon? Good question. Um, you know, we can, we can uh, make judgments on things we don't really know uh, of what went on inside of him. You know, we can say, well, he had too much, he had it too good, you know, but we, we, we don't know that. But what we do know that is as soon as he took over, what he had his brother killed, who biologically uh, would have been the next in line, but Solomon wanted to make sure he was there. Um, so I wrestle with how humid, though, it is because he he did pray, or in a in the dream that he had, you know, he did answer God and say that he he really wanted to have wisdom so that he could better lead the people. Well, I think we all have our moments when we want we want to be, you know, the thing that God would have us be. But we also are all flesh. And that's what I see with him because he starts off, he's going to build this temple, but he does have it good. And, and he starts making decisions that are just really not wise. Um, all of the Northern kingdoms or what would be, have been the tribes and that he, he divides them all up right away into 12 different uh, areas. Forget about the tribal <laughs> distinctions anymore. He has people who are set up over them and then they're all supposed to provide enough to support Solomon, feed his big lavish, um, administration that he set up. Um, they have to do, uh, they would call it like, uh, slave labor. Um, they have what two two months that they can be at home and and do whatever they do. But then that third month they have to be um, working, doing stuff for him. Um, so so he builds up already antagonism between the two, the north and the south. Because in the south, in Judah, where he is, they just have one person overseeing them, and they're not getting it as rough. Um, he. He obviously is enticed by women. Um, I think he had 700 wives. Was that what's depicted? Well, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, now, many of them were probably, um, they speculate, uh, political reasons. So he's not following, basically, the bottom line, he's not following the, the guideposts that God had set up for him. They were not to marry people from different countries. So to paraphrase what you're saying, for Solomon, it became all about Solomon, and he forgot it should be all about God. It Yes, it became all about Solomon, not even about the kingdom or the other people. It was all about Solomon and building and greater. And the one of the worst offenses is he he basically gave away part of the promised land. He gave 20 of the cities of Galilee uh, to Hiram to pay for all the materials that he was getting and the lavish thing that he's building. Yes, he spent seven years to build the temple, but he spent 13 years to build the rest of his stuff. His palace, right? His palace. He built a palace for the uh, daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt, who he married and brought in. So he was equipping whatever the, his wives wanted to, and then he built a more shrines. Um, 
he, he just got caught up, which it's so easy to do, to get caught up in the world. And you compare that, to go back to the character of David, you compare that with David's character. And even when things were going bad for David, whether it was when Nathan came to him and said, you're the one who committed this crime, he confessed. Yes. He said, yes, I did. I did it. You know, um, even as his his power and his kingship started to wane and he found himself, you know, weaker and just sort of impotent in a lot of ways, he never really even gave in to some of the same sins that we see Solomon give into. Exactly. He stayed faithful, even though his lot in life changed quite a bit after everything with Bathsheba. And even with Bathsheba, when that first child, the first pregnancy, when he had prayed and prayed and he was doing all these things that the child he was hoping God would allow the child to survive, but the child didn't. And then he accepted that. He accepted that gracefully, that this, that, you know, this was basically like the um, consequences of yeah. his behavior. And, and then he went on. He didn't turn against God. God was still, it was one God. And that's what it means to be a, a person, man or woman, after God's own heart. It's just God, no matter how we mess up. So we have the division now of Israel. Uh, it kind of harkens back to the Tower of Babel when the individuals start being selfish and wanting to make their own tower to be God. Uh, we become greedy. We become selfish. We no longer communicate with each other. And that's what happens in Israel. Rehoboam and Jeroboam uh, now all of a sudden split the kingdom into their two separate parts, and it just goes and gets worse from there. Well, and, and Rehoboam, of course, look what his father, role model, you know, Solomon was not a good role model either, right? Um, but there's the North saying to him, look, your father didn't treat us right. Your father did uh, all of this forced labor, these kind of things. If you will, and they want to they wanna work with him, if you will, you know, treat us more kindly— We'll stay together, you know, and you will be our king. Uh, but no, no way. He Well, he listens to the, now I am an older person, so I may be prejudiced here, but he listens <laughs> to the advice of the older folks who say you should lighten up, all will be well. But then he listens to the younger folks his age, and they say, no, be tougher on him. Don't put up with that. And that's the way he goes. And so goes the kingdom. Then they say, "Okay, we'll see you. We're out of here." And Jeroboam will be our, will be our God or our our king. Yeah. Let's uh, step back for a minute. Uh, we we kind of skipped over the temple, other than giving Solomon credit for building it. Um, what has changed? How, uh, what is the transition from the tabernacle that the uh, Israelites had as they were wandering in the desert uh, to now this permanent structure where God dwells? Well, the thing is, and you said where God dwells, that starts to be the question too. Um, if you notice when you read in scripture, it'll talk about his name, his right. name dwells there. Right. So what's the difference between your name dwelling there and God dwelling there? Well, if you think about when he was in the tabernacle or when they were in the tent and moving around, this was a place where they knew they could come, they all do their sacrifices, God is there, but he wasn't just there. The essence of God is there because they saw him in the flame, 
when it would lead him by a flame, they saw him in the cloud. Uh, he, he, he's greater than that. He can't be confined to being in there. Now they have this temple, and they're trying to limit, again, where, where people are going to worship. They said one place, one God, one place of worship. All the other religions had many gods, many places to worship. So we're again making a distinction and limiting temptations to get us to go, you know, so we don't go the wrong way. But that that was it and to make it grand and beautiful because it's holy. It's it's holy. It's where the essence of God, where his name dwells. Um, but I think that I think that gets confused for them too. Well, certainly, and and down the road when we have the exile or the diaspora, and the Jews are are spread into Syria or spread into Babylon, uh, and the temple is ultimately destroyed, um, they've got to reconcile. Is this the only place where God dwells, or is He with us wherever we are? Exactly, and it's hard for them because all of the other uh, uh, religions and you know the other countries at that time, um, there was always the thought that. Gods were geographical; they that lived within their boundaries, kind of thing. Um, we see that with Abraham, where it says that Abraham left the gods of his father. Yes, right. Yes, yeah. yes. And you see the the problem too when the country split between um, Judah and the northern countries, and Jeroboam was like, "Well, we have to have a place to worship up here because we can't have them go down to Jerusalem." Right. Right. <laughs> right. So he puts up two, and that's a pretty long area, the northern kingdom. So he puts up one place they can go that's in the north and one that's in the south. And spoiler alert, one of the uh, separate places of the northern kingdom was Samaria. And we'll talk about Samaritans when we get to the New Testament. <laughs> yes. We've kind of noted that uh, that the exile is sort of, you know, hanging in the background here about how, you know, they, they're definitely going to, this story is setting the stage for the exile, the kingdom's right. dividing, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but would it make sense for the people who are reading this text, perhaps in exile, to know that God doesn't dwell in the temple, right? Like when we're yes. going back to the temple to say that God's name dwells there, but not God's yes. presence, because yes. these people would have known that the temple was destroyed. They would have been in exile going, hey, we don't have a temple. And therefore, this theology would sort of start to rise of God being bigger yes. than a place of worship, bigger exactly. than a you know a single location. Yes, yes. And there's something else that, uh, because now as we move on and you get into the prophets, which lot, and you'll hear the same thing theme over and over again, and we've heard it some at the tail end of this one. Um, you know, uh, it goes with the blessings and curses that people always get so upset about, you know, shame on God, cursing us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I come back to covenant. Don't we even say we're the covenant people, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, God operates the same from the beginning to the end. So if you look throughout, uh, since, since we had the Ten Commandments, since we had the covenant there at Mount Sinai, archaeological digs have found covenants found documents from that time period from the Hittites. And what happened at Mount Sinai just meshes exactly because those, those had six points to them. And they would start off with uh, saying who was making this covenant. They were usually between a sovereign and a vassal. So I am so-and-so from such-and-such. Such. Well, the Ten Commandments, it starts off, I am the Lord your God, you know. And then the second part, what I've done for you. 
Brought okay. you out of the land of Egypt. Exactly. Brought you out of the land of Egypt. These others might be saying, I've provided for you tenants on my land, da, 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 da. The third part of the stipulations, that's the Ten Commandments. And it's saying, therefore, therefore, not because, you know, I'm going to hit you over the head if you don't do this and that. It's, I've treated you this way. I've done all of this. This is now how you live. I brought you out as my people uh, I've adopted you, so to speak, I always think of, but this is how you live. And then they make arrangements, the next part, for uh, it to be some way so that this is preserved. Well, they were put on the, the stones. There's always a setup, the next part, for witnesses. Well, it will talk about witnesses, and sometimes it's the mountains and the winds and the sky, but witnesses. And then the last part is blessing and curses. And that's basically saying, if you live this way, your life will be good. Your life will be good. God will be with you. And if you, if don't, you don't, exactly. Well, you get to the New Testament. I told you Jesus would come up. If you get to the New Testament, here we go. Because Jesus says, I rescued you. I rescued you from the bondage of sin, you know? And therefore, this is how you live. And if you live this way, life will be good, but you can choose not to. It's the same. It's because, therefore, we don't obey because we have to so that he'll love us. We do this out of gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done for us and so that we will indeed have a better life. Same, cover to cover. Thanks so much for joining us this week. It really feels like the biblical story is beginning to pick up the pace. Next week, we'll meet a ton of kings, a couple of prophets, and wrap up this section of Israel's history. As you're reading this week and next, take notes about how the kings are portrayed, because when we get to Chronicles, there's an opportunity to compare and contrast the presentation of the kings. Chronicles is going to feel repetitive, but it's a neat exercise in how history gets shaped and reshaped to function theologically for different communities. You can find out more about Hyde Park United Methodist and the Bible Project at BibleProject2020.com. And be sure to rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. Steve Crawford produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.